Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Where the dawn of the east meets the twilight of the west, and the cool of the north touches the calm of the south, and the transcendent power of love touches earth in the humility of Christ. Here and now, where the head of the Charles reaches out to the heart of the country, we gather for ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God and service of neighbor for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our radio congregation across New England live at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your decisions about ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. Today we celebrate the gospel of the young man Jesus. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise, make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, we gather in the praise of God and begin Sunday by Sunday with a word of confession. Today, as we listen later to the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, we are reminded of President Theodore Roosevelt's words as a young person, he wrote. It is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. Together, individually, corporately in silence, may we offer, as the choir sings our Kyrie, our prayers of confession. Hear and trust the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 and 16 through 18. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. 
From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray together Psalm 65 with the Antiphon. shall come because of their sins. When our transgressions prevail over us, you forgive them. Blessed are those whom you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By dread deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation who is the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who by your strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at earth's farthest bounds are afraid at your signs. You make the morning and the evening resound for joy, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide its grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. The tracks of your chariot drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Now, beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Deo, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Glory to you, O Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. One October day when he was 10 years old, our son Ben went with me to pay a visit on two parishioners. Mary and Bill had been married just after the Second World War and had raised four daughters to become vibrant, loving, faithful adults. Somehow they had found time over those years 
to pitch in with the Altar Guild every Sunday and to attend those monthly worship committee meetings and to engage the intersection of faith and life in their smaller city day by day. In that October, the October of Bill's death, we had talked several times. He had told me on an earlier visit of his experience in the Second World War. He had been flown to England at age 20 and spent two and a half years as a fighter pilot. He flew over 30 missions. He was shot down once. He survived, though all of his crew did not. And through those almost three years, he carried responsibility for an aircraft, a crew, several missions, and in a small but very human way, the outcome of the war itself. And then he came home through Boston and across the railway, the Lakeshore Limited deposited him on his front step. He was 22 years old. I don't remember whether it was offered or been asked, but in that afternoon, Bill proffered his own flight jacket, a waist-length leather worn coat with a large center zipper. And Ben wore it at age 10. It fit him, though not very well, though Bill himself was slight, so it was an approximation. And in that moment, Mary about to become a widow, Bill about to die, I about to conduct a funeral, and Ben about to turn 11, shared one of those moments that lasts you know something like forever. There it is. He came home at age 22 with most of the heavy lifting, the hard work of his adult life already done. He spent the next 40 years editing and publishing material for a good manufacturer, a life of backroom pencils and copy and rehearsals and reviews. But he came home at age 22, which raises for us this Sunday morning question. Where did we ever get the idea that young adults are unable to do great things? Where did we ever get the notion that 22-year-olds are unable to do great Things. You know, cultures sometimes need to be challenged. There come times in the development of a full culture when a mirror needs to be held up. You know, 200 years ago and more when in our culture, in writing, this is in the Constitution, we had identified by arithmetic the value of some of our population as three-fifths human that needed to be pushed or when some years later the voices of women were unheard and unheeded and unparticipant in the development of the political process that needed to be challenged and pushed, or in our own time when we continue to struggle and affirm the full humanity of gay people, the culture needs sometimes to be pushed a little bit. Where did we ever get the idea that 22-year-olds are 
unable to do great things. Jesus meets us today in his full humanity, in the person of the publican more than of the Pharisee, the one who puts his head down and says, God, be merciful to me. I am such a human being. For a long time, people have been trying to say the right thing in the right way, in the right moment about Jesus. To an unruly church, Matthew said, remember, he was a teacher. To a suffering church, Mark said, remember, he endured the cross. To a somewhat more comfortable church, Luke said, Remember how he cared for the least, the last, the lost. To a philosophical church, John wrote, the word became flesh, the word flesh among us. People have been trying to say in the right time, in the right way for many years, the right thing in the right moment about Jesus. So in 1848, when Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony gathered in Seneca Falls, not too far from here. They had a few things to say about the scripture. Maybe they didn't say it quite as sharply as Sojourner Truth challenged by a man, and she replied, well, let me ask you about your savior, sir. How was he born in Bethlehem? He came from God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with it. Or perhaps Abraham Lincoln preparing the Emancipation Proclamation might have remembered that Jesus was a Semite, dark-skinned, today we would say a person of color or black. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in 1933, we shall follow him this winter, said, the church in our country in our time either stands with the Jewish community or it, quote, does not exist. Unquote. So, October 24th, 2010, Boston University, 4,400 freshmen, a community of 40,000. Just what shall we say about Jesus who meets us today? Just this. Jesus lived and died a young man. Now our Gospels proclaim the good news of God's love. They are not meant to record historical events. Here and there though, and with the common opinion, we can trace that Jesus probably lived to age 33 from his birth in 4 BCE to his crucifixion, Bethlehem to Golgotha in 29 CE. He lived and he died as a young man. Do we listen for the youthful voice of Christ with all of its strangeness, with its emphasis on single life, with its secularity? Jesus is a strange Messiah in some ways. Every generation comes to the next with a little bit of difference. That's a good thing. It's the way the world, you can take the world, as John Denver sang, and make it young again. Maybe that's what Paul saw in Timothy, whose pseudonymous letters we have been reading this fall. Don't be bashful of your youth, wrote the writer in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Maybe that's what Paul saw in 
Timothy, this difference, this emerging new culture. We're at the fountain of youth. You know, over the years, this is a confession. Confession is good for the soul. In the ministry, I have loved to work with the prospect list a little bit more than the membership list. I've loved that secular city a little bit more than the religious culture. And I've loved that new young population coming along. You need to be careful what you pray for, for here I am at Boston University in the secular Northeast in the city of Boston. There's a difference. There's a, a strangeness, a lie with each new generation. Jesus was a young man. He was single. You know, we say a great deal in the 40 weddings of the summer about Jesus' blessing marriage at Cana of Galilee, and well, we should, but in his tabernacle days, he lived as a single person. I count this as blessed good news for the many of us, young and maybe not so young, who are making our own way, day and especially night, listening to the radio alone later at night. He went up the mountain alone. He rebuked Peter alone. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane alone. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. And deserted, quite alone, he died on Golgotha. He was a single, single Lord. He was youthful, too, in a secular way. Harvey Cox and others a generation ago may have made some theological mistakes and missteps, but his book, The Secular City, is certainly true of our time across New England. Today, this summer, I listened to the advertisement for another Sunday morning radio program and all the things one could do on Sunday morning. And of course, you know what I was listening for. And here was the list. It was a nice advertisement. You may take a walk. You may have a picnic. You may go to the beach. You may read a book. You may gather with your family. There may be some sort of meal. And then the advertisement ended, and I thought, Marsh Chapel, worship. You see, we live in a secular time. The rhythms of culture have grown cold to a great degree to the beat and rhythm of the Christian gospel. But there is a generation coming along who is not dissuaded. They are not discouraged. By such a time, they're alive to this strange Messiah, aware of this single Lord in conversation with this secular Redeemer. Maybe they knew their Calvin. Christ is alive in our flesh. He takes his glorious presence in our flesh. Or maybe they knew their Wesley. He has... Come down, he has accommodated himself to our very flesh, even to that of the publican, the unreligious, who bows his head and cries out, God be merciful to me, I am such a human being. We are gathered on Parents Weekend at Boston University, and in the earshot and shadow of this gospel, may we affirm one bit of glad tidings of great joy for you. Oh, we know Christopher Lash and his voice about youth culture, and we take it at its face value that at its worst, youth culture does not prepare young adults for adult life, but is a quasi-autonomous culture gathered around the pursuit of fun and thrills. But you know, I read the statistics in 1990 on one study, 18% 
of college graduates wanted to do something to make the world better. And last year, 20 years later, 50% wanted to take the world and make it young again. If you are a parent worshiping or listening today, you may want to receive the freedom of the gospel in grace. This is ours to identify and God's to give, which is that more or less over time, your son will do, will, do well. More or less over time, your daughter will be well. And here is grace. Today, you may receive the freedom to embrace a little less and expect a little more. You may receive the gospel to embrace a little less and expect a little more. We can and should expect young adults to achieve and maintain the highest level of personal morality. We can and should expect young adults to prize their time now that they have it, to make use of each hour beginning with that hour of public worship come Sunday. We can and should expect young adults not to use and not to abuse one another physically, personally, especially in those closest and most intimate encounters of life. We can and should expect young adults to know how to value a dollar, to gain all they can, save all they can, give away all that they can. Where did we ever get the idea that young adults are not capable of discipline, of sobriety, of frugality. In fact, and indeed, they truly are. They're not any more sinful than their parents. It's just that their parents, we have more experience, don't we? Where did we ever get the idea to walk down the other side of the road that young adults can't be expected to develop a social conscience. We can and should expect young adults to develop a sense of empathy for the poor, not just by reading, but by connection, which involves connecting to poverty, seeing, sensing, hearing, feeling, smelling, being in the presence of those in need. We can and should expect and do young adults to have a sense of pardon and forgiveness to conjure up their inner compassion and Churchill's phrase, who is not a socialist at 20 has no heart, who is not a Tory at 30 has no head. We can and should expect young adults to take a multi-generational view of the world around and to prize earth and sea, sky and air. Where did we ever get the idea that young adults, oh, they might be able to do a course or to finish an individual project, but we shouldn't expect them to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. They're no more selfish than their parents. They just have less money than we do. We gather today to recognize in his tabernacle days that Jesus lived and died as a young man. The other Saturday morning, I came down underneath the Charles Gate Bridge. You know, there are about nine different horizontal and vertical concrete paths there. It is about the dankest, darkest spot you'd ever want to find in our neighborhood. But that 7.30 a.m. hour there, looking out into the blue, stood a painter 
with a brush and an easel and a smock and a beret, and there he saw not just the concrete, but the blue, the blue sky, the blue, the blue water. I love any color as long as it's blue. Where did we ever get the notion that young adults are unable to do great things? We have a marker on our plaza to Martin Luther King to whom the following closing challenge is attributed. Whether or not the world should die tomorrow, I will plant my seed today.
Please be seated. Let us now take the time to offer our prayers to God. You may sit, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail as according to your tradition. Now, please join me in singing, Lead Me, Lord. Loving God, through you we know life. Your love moves around us and through us, your spirit renewing us with each breath. We are blessed to be together as one church this morning in these pews, through the radio, and throughout the entire world, united in your truth and love. Be with those of us today with heavy burdens in our hearts and anxieties in our minds, so that you may bring peace and comfort. In this world, too many of us face heartache and struggles, like our friends at Emmanuel Chapel of Virginia Theological Seminary, where a fire destroyed the chapel. Though no lives were lost, the community mourns the loss of its spiritual home, and we ask that you be with them, God, during this difficult time. We pray for those less fortunate than us, living in poverty, hunger, and sickness, that they would be afforded the food, water, medicine, homes, and all the benefits that we so often take for granted. Bring unity where there is strife, especially among religions and among our own Christian sisters and brothers. Help us to reflect and live as one body of Christ. During this political climate, with new elections coming quickly, we ask that you guide our leaders and those in authority so they may make the best decisions based on love and justice, living out Jesus' example. God, for each person discriminated against because of sexual orientation, for each young adult bullied because of difference, for each woman objectified because of her gender, for each person of a different ethnicity or race made to feel inferior because of their identity, we ask for your strength and love to fill them so that they know, while human words and actions can be cruel, you, O oh God, are good, and never the face of hate. Awaken in us, God, a spirit of compassion and peace, so that we may serve you and others with a renewed passion for justice, equality, love, and the good news we know to be true and faithfully deep within our hearts and minds. Amen. And now, with the words your Son taught us, let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. It is a great joy to welcome you here this Parents Weekend Sunday. We hope that you will take a moment uh, to fill out the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew and to pass them along to your neighbor so that we can help, uh, so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know each other better throughout the week and to keep in touch. This morning, uh, Isabel Spence will be formally joining the Marsh Chapel chapter. If any others would like to join the cha uh, Marsh Chapel chapter, we would invite you to come forward to the communion, communion rail during the singing of the last stanza of the last hymn this morning. We would note that following the service, Marsh Chapel is hosting a parents' weekend lunch in Barristers Hall at the law school right next door. We hope you will join us for that, for food and fellowship. And we would encourage you to keep an eye on the chapel website and the note in your bulletin about alumni weekend activities next week. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
thank you, Lord, for the mercy of your gospel, that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die on the cross to raise us in him to new life with you. Bless our lives by your Holy Spirit to be a witness and a service to you. Amen. 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 